There's something powerful bubbling up inside me, Father. And I'm afraid that someday, if I don't do something, I'm gonna explode. Where does this rage come from, my son? I don't know. It's a lot of things, really. Is that why you let John tie you up to the back of a truck and drag you around like a dog? No. I just thought that's what guys do around here. I got a carton of cigarettes. The old man grabbed me and said, hey, smoke up, Johnny. You're not ready. I have plenty of white guys talking about nothing. Everybody, it's your boy Johnny, and we are back with episode number 14 of the Views from the John podcast. Today, at least for me, is a Monday. Monday, Monday. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. It is Monday, November 18th. 2019 and like i said i am your host johnny drip j paul i don't know i haven't figured out what to call myself but my real name is john or johnny or jay whatever you want to say and this is the views from the john podcast it is episode 14 if you can believe it and uh yeah today is the 18th of november if you can believe it, 2019. I don't know what the date is for you, but this is the date that I am recording this. I don't know what if it'll be available tonight or if it'll be available tomorrow. But that's it. I'm Johnny, and we're back for episode 14. You might have noticed, if you cared, that there was no views from the John podcast last week. And you might have wondered for a split second, I wonder what he's doing. Well, I took a week off. And why did I take a week off? Well, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I just didn't feel like doing a fucking podcast. It's about that simple. I'm telling you. Put yourself in my shoes. Let's say at age 41, even though you wanted to do this at age 18 or 16, you decide, eh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to decide to Start up a YouTube channel, start up a podcast, start up a stand-up comedy career. I want to be an actor. I want to be this, that, and the other fucking thing, right? Well, who does okay? So I'm going to tell you something. No matter what endeavor you start out on, you're going to doubt yourself about 50,000 times. And maybe last week I was doubting myself. Maybe that's what was it. I don't know. You choose what narrative you want to come up with to why I was missing last week. And we'll just run with that. But, but yeah, yeah, you know, drama sells, right? So, yeah, that that was it. I, I was unable to do a podcast last week because um, I died and then I got resurrected. And I questioned my entire existence. I took off to Alphen Centauri and came back. Um, I went on a vacation with the Smurfs. I had a one-night stand with Smurfettes. That's where I was. Okay? But what did I do during that uh, time besides date Smurfettes? Well, uh, the only thing I can really comment on 
uh, over the last 10 days that's of any excitement level was I got to see Billy Burr. I got to see the great Bill Burr perform at a, uh, a very small club called Giggles just outside of Boston. What do you mean just outside of Boston? Well, if I tell you the name of the town, you aren't going to know what the fuck it is, right? Okay. So it's close enough to Boston where we can call it Boston. It was, you know, we had to drive right through the center of the city. So yes, Bill Burr, the guy who sells out Madison Square Garden on back-to-back nights, 24,000 people. He performed to about 150 people at a surprise show. Well, it wasn't a surprise show. Lenny Clark and the funny Christine Hurley uh, were already on the bill. And Boston area comic Stephen Wright and Boston born, but LA is his home. Comic Bill Burr jumped on the bill. I happened to hear about it. I happened to use some of my Boston area comedy connections to get in the door. And I ended up sitting about four feet from the man. And uh, yeah, he killed. Stephen Wright killed. Lenny Clark, always funny. Christine Hurley, great. That was a great night. That was a great night. But I wanted to tell you about something that happened on the way to Boston. Because this has probably happened to maybe everybody listening to this. And it happened to me yet again. And it was funny because on the ride out there, I was thinking about the time that I was stuck in standstill traffic on 93 driving through downtown Boston. And when you're stuck in traffic, not going anywhere, nowhere near an exit in the middle of a city, and you have to go to the bathroom, what do you do? Well, for a dude, it's a little easier, right? And I didn't have to go number two or number three or four or five, six, seven or eight. I had to go number one. But here's the problem. I had to go number one in bumper-to-bumper traffic in the middle of a city and I'm driving a manual transmission car, and there's a dude in the seat next to me. You got that? There's a dude in the car with me sitting right next to me. Now, I drink a lot of coffee, and I drink a lot of water. And of course, as you age, you can't hold your bladder as well. So I had been drinking coffee all fucking day, right? And I broke the seal, And we are literally stopped dead, entering a tunnel right in the heart of Boston on 93, trying to get over the Tobin Bridge. And I have to piss so bad, I can no longer hold it. I'm either going to piss myself or I literally have to jump out of the car and just piss right in the middle of the highway in front of everybody. And because I have something known as pee shyness, I can't do that. So here I am in the car in bumper-to-bumper traffic in the middle of Boston, and I have to piss. Now, I've been there before, and this is why, if you're a dude, you got to keep some kind of an empty uh, container in your car. Dudes know about this, and it helps if the container has a has like a big hole in the top because you got to stick your cock in there, right? You don't want to be peeing into a, uh, into, you know, a straw opening because then your margin of error 
to try to get the pea into the container is then, you know, very severed, right? So like a Gatorade bottle, right? The Gatorade bottle has that big old opening, right? You can stuff your whole fucking head in that shit, right? So that's what you need. I, unfortunately, I didn't have a Gatorade bottle handy in the car. And like I said, I had another little problem, and that little problem was called a guy named Josh who was sitting in the passenger seat, right? So, you know, I'm not homophobic, but, you know, I'm also not gay, and I have a problem called pee shyness, where, you know, you, you can't really pee as well as you want to when there's another dude a foot from you, okay? But I'm stuck in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And I'm about to piss my fucking pants. I can't take it anymore. And there's nowhere to go. So I have to go while I'm driving the car. And it's a manual transmission too. So picture this. I'm in I'm in the pat I'm in the driver's seat of the car. It has three pedals that I have to work. Traffic will move a little bit, then it stops, and it moves a little bit, then it stops. I have traffic on my left. I have traffic on my right. I am in the middle of downtown Boston in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, cars all around me. People can see into the car, and now I have to somehow, somehow try to keep moving with traffic, operating three pedals, and then somehow take my dick out of my zipper and insert it into a, uh, what did I end up grabbing? I think it was a, it was an empty coffee cup. It was just a regular styrofoam fucking cup, no lid. That's the best I could do. And do you have any idea how difficult this is? All right. I mean, forget the fact that I got a dude sitting right next to me in the passenger seat who's laughing his ass off at me and making it even more uncomfortable um, it, it, at the same time, you know, traffic isn't at a complete standstill, right? You know how traffic works, right? You'll be sitting there for two seconds and then all of a sudden the car in front of you will move 20 feet and then you got to move 20 feet and then stop again. I'm driving a standard people that requires your two feet to be operating three different pedals. Okay. And I'm trying to sit up in my chair, right? So I'm kind of angling my cock down, right? Because when you're seated and you're a dude, right? Like when you're seated in a chair, your pee can't go down, right? Because the, 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 the fucking seat's there. So you have to kind of, you know, get up on your seat, right? So, you're, so your whole kind of nether region is at an angle, right? So I'm sitting up on the fucking seat right? Everybody around me can fucking see me. I got Josh in the fucking passenger seat laughing his balls off, not making things any fucking easier. And I can't steer. We happen to be going around a corner in the road. So I'm trying, so I'm trying to piss into this little fucking cup and it's going fucking everywhere. I got this dude laughing at me a fucking foot from me and he needs to steer too because because we're going around a fucking corner. So here I am trying to pee into a cup in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, trying to operate three fucking pedals, I got a dude right next to me who, who can't watch, who's laughing his balls off, who's trying to steer to keep us in the fucking lane. And then, finally, I start pissing. I can hear it hitting the cup. I'm like, oh, fucking great, right? And we're yelling back and forth at each other because, fuck, you know... He's not steering. He's laughing. I'm fucking pissing. And then I realized the cup that he gave me to piss in isn't a very big cup. 
and I'm still pissing, and I can tell just by the sound of it, right, that the pee is getting towards the top, and it's 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 dark in Boston, right? There's no light on in the car. What am I going to do? Turn the lights on in the car and give everyone a, even a, an even better show? So I can tell just by the sound of the pee hitting the cup that it's getting to the top. And I can't see what the fuck I'm doing. I'm literally holding my cock down into the cup so the pee doesn't go all over the car and it stays in the cup with one hand while the other hand is holding the cup while nobody, while the passenger is actually driving the car. And I'm, and I'm operating all three pedals with two feet. And like I said, I can hear that the cup is about to overflow and I'm still going. And now Josh is screaming at me to pinch it off. And I'm like, I can't pinch it off. It stings. It stings. I can't pinch it off. So long story short, I ended up successfully pissing into a uh, styrofoam coffee cup. Um, there was probably about an eighth of an inch left before the cup would have overfilled. I was able to get the cover on it, and um, things were a little messy. So, yeah, okay? So, yeah, that's my story. I had to pee into a cup in the middle of standstill Boston traffic with a dude right next to me. Um, and it ended up being a, uh, yeah... Ended up being a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a mess. But uh, yeah, that was the highlight of my trip that Friday night, besides meeting Bill, was having to piss in my car. <sighs> yeah. So, what else happened over the weekend? I don't know how many of you like sports or follow football, but you probably heard about this because it just wasn't on the sporting news. It made the world news. It was like front page news in Afghanistan, where I don't think they know what American football is. But anyways, the Cleveland Browns, even if you don't know the NFL, you probably know there's an NFL team called the Cleveland Browns. They're from Cleveland, Ohio, right? And there's a player on the Cleveland Browns. His name is Miles Garrett. And I was watching this live, right? This was Thursday night football last Thursday. And the Browns defensive end, Miles Garrett, nearly killed the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, Mason Rudolph, on live TV when he forcibly stripped the guy's helmet off. And then he took the helmet and swung it at him and hit him square in the head. Did you get that? Did you see that? This dude, Miles Garrett, the defensive end from the Cleveland Browns, stripped off the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback's helmet. He, like, ripped his helmet off of his head. And then he used the helmet as a weapon and swung it at the dude's face, and he hit him in the head with it. It was the craziest shit I or anybody else has ever seen in the history of football. And this was on national TV. Now, he actually hit him with the helmet on the top of the head um, with the part of the helmet that would have gone on you. But I don't think that was on purpose. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Had this dude hit him in the head with the actual like butt or like the crown or the top of the helmet, I think the dude could have literally broke or snapped his neck on live television. 
we could have literally been looking at the first um, uh, live death of an NFL player on national television. That's how close it came. And it wasn't because it was a big hit. It was because for the first time in the history of the NFL, a dude took a person's helmet and then used it as a fucking weapon on live TV. And I was watching this shit live, and I'm like, what just happened? He did not just take this dude's helmet and fucking swing it at him and hit his head. It was crazy. In 41 years of watching sports, I had never seen a player in any sport go off like that and use a helmet as a weapon. I mean, it was literally the equivalent of like a hockey player, right? Removing his skate and like stabbing a guy. Or like a baseball player, like taking a bat to someone's head. Or like a golfer, right? Takes out his nine iron and like hits another fucking golfer with it. Or like an NBA player taking a folding chair from the side of the court and then hitting another person over the head with it. I mean, this dude literally took a piece of sporting equipment and then hit a dude over the head with it. Um, it's nuts. Uh, even the broadcasters were saying that they had like never seen anything like it. And then social media went nuts afterwards calling for the dude's head. Uh, but he was tossed out of the game. And um, he was suspended for the rest of the season without pay. Um, but yeah, man, there is just zero excuse in pro sports to take a skirmish to that level where you're actually using weapons. Um, I mean, this dude could have been arrested for assault. I mean, arrested, arrested. I mean, that was straight up like ghetto Bush League shit. Just, you know, I mean, it's nuts. I mean, you got kids that are looking up to these football players that want to be pro players. And they're seeing, you know, dudes take off their helmet and then swing it like a weapon. I mean, who the fuck does that? I mean, honest to God. Um, it's, it's fucking crazy. It, it, it's seriously crazy. And he literally could have killed the guy. And, um, you know, regardless of what might have led up to whatever started that skirmish, you can't let your emotions, um, take it to that level where you're really, where you're actually using, um, a football helmet, something that's supposed to protect you as a weapon to hit another dude on the head with it. It's, it's fucking crazy. And this all happened with eight seconds left in the game. And Cleveland had was winning the game. You get that? Cleveland was winning 21-7, to and there was only eight seconds left. All the dude had to do was not hit the guy on the head with his own helmet. And then everybody would have walked off the field and talked about what a great win it was for Cleveland and the city, right? But instead of celebrating their win, it turned into an international headline news story where for the first time in the history of the NFL, a dude forcibly removed another player's helmet and then swung the helmet at the dude and hit him on the head, nearly killing him. It's fucking crazy. And I printed out some reactions from social media. 
And these aren't just Joe Schmo uh, people reacting on social media. These are actual like other big football players that took to social media in the minutes after this happened Thursday night and weighed in um, with their two cents. Uh, Des Bryant, Des Bryant, going to be a Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver for uh, the Cowboys. He 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 tweeted he's done for the year. Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick was a fantastic uh, running back, uh, played for most recently the Detroit Lions. He is now an analyst with ESPN. He chimed in and said, suspend him for the rest of the season. Uh, Jonathan Cyprian, another football guy. One thing for sure is that Mason Rudolph will never try and fight a defensive lineman again. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, probably the best quarterback in the NFL, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Tweeted out, bro, I can't believe that just happened. Reggie Bush, another Hall of Fame running back, tweeted out, in all of my life in football, that might have been the craziest thing I have ever seen. They are about to suspend Miles for 30 years. People getting stomped out. That was a hood fight. Hate to see that in our game. That's not what pro football is about. And that's so true. So... Listen to all these players that took to social media after this. Uh, J.J. Watt, another first ballot Hall of Famer defensive player for Houston. He wrote, that is insanity. Keenan Allen, another incredible player from the uh, Chargers. Um, he brought up uh, Mike Pouncey. Mike Pouncey is a uh, lineman for Pittsburgh that saw his quarterback get hit in the head with his own helmet. And then he went nuts on Garrett and started punching and kicking him, defending his uh, quarterback. So Keenan Allen hopped on social media and said, yeah, Pouncey, straight up don't touch my quarterback. Uh, Golden Tate, another fantastic receiver for Detroit. Uh, he writes, how many games will Miles be suspended for? And he said 13%, 26%, or infinity. And the majority of the people chose infinity. Um, more social media uh, or Twitter responses to that shit. Uh, there is no excuse for that, but I want to know what was said or happened before. What does it matter what was said or happened before? Does that make it okay? Uh, Kyle Jusek, uh, running back for San Francisco 49ers, says Miles Garrett should not be allowed to play another snap this season. Well, as it turns out, that's what's going to happen. Derek Anderson says this is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that they let Garrett slam him three seconds later and no call is a problem. Mason has every right to be pissed. Uh, Bruce Irwin says I'm all for being a leader and doing the right thing. My loyalty, eh, I don't know. I don't know why I printed all these, but basically, does anybody get the severity of this? Okay. Never before in the history of football, anywhere, I don't even think uh, in college or, uh, you know, uh, high school, has anybody taken their helmet and then swung it at another player's head who wasn't wearing a helmet? You get that? The dude took a fucking helmet and then swung it with all of his might at a guy not wearing a helmet off the top of his head. And had he hit it with the right had he hit him with the right part of the helmet, the dude would have died. 
That's how close we came to having an NFL player die on national television last Thursday night because a guy straight out lost his temper and then took the dude's helmet off and then used it as a fucking weapon. <sighs> what are we going to blame it on? Trump? Right? Trump's in office. It's, it's somehow his fault. You know, people hear me say that and think that I'm alt-left or I'm left because I talk shit about Trump. Are you kidding me? Even fucking Republicans talk shit about Trump. This is the 14th episode, people. If it's taken you 14 episodes to realize how much I hate politics and that I'm not left and I'm not right and I'm not liberal and I'm not independent and I fucking hate politics. If it's taken you 14 episodes to realize that, I don't think you're quite listening to me carefully enough, sir. I am not alt-left. I am not alt-right. I'm just a dude that wants to see a, a great leader for this country in office. And I don't care what you think. Donald Trump is not the right guy to represent this country. He's a fucking buffoon. He's a racist buffoon. Do you guys know how many families he has split up with this whole wall building shit? I don't know. You, you, you fucking people are crazy. Anybody that thinks Donald Trump is a great president, I don't think is actually... Um, looked into what the guy does okay so I, I don't know but one thing people do like to do that i don't agree with is play that trump card anything and everything that doesn't go right in someone's life or it just in society today it's it's everything is trump's fault you know people think Honest to God, because we have a president that acts like he's um, a manager of like a blockbuster or some shit, right? Just says whatever comes out of his racist fucking mouth. That because of him acting like that as our president, it is it has now lowered like the moral standard across the board in this country. That's the most insane thing I think I've ever heard anyone say. Just because the president acts like a fucking asshole, all the rest of us now have permission to act like an asshole. You know? My kids aren't pieces of shit because we raised them wrong. It's because Trump's in office. That's why I wanted to make that t-shirt, people. I'm not going to. So I, I, I legally give you the permission to do this. But if you do it, just send me one. I want to make t-shirts for kids that says, my parents says, I'm a little fucker or something like that because Trump's in office. So this is Trump's America, not because I'm a bad parent. Something to that effect, because I've heard that multiple times, that parents are now making excuses for their kids' behavior, not because their kids being kids, but because of Trump being in office. That's what I'm talking about, people. How fucking retarded is that? My kid acts like an asshole, not because I'm a bad parent, but because Trump's in office and because Trump acts like such a buffoon, it's taken this the, the whole moral compass of the country down to a lower level. Really? Come on now. All right, what else is in the news? This is something in the news, and I, don't, I haven't really heard anyone talking about it. And some people who listen to this show don't like it when I get talking about sports because, you know, not everyone likes sports. Sorry. I'm sorry that you weren't athletic in high school and chose not to play a sport. 
But uh, yes, the 2017 world champion Houston Astros. And in case you don't know, they're a baseball team. Okay, we're now we have now moved from football to Trump to baseball. So the 2017 world champion Houston Astros have just been caught cheating. And nobody seems to care. Only people care when Boston teams cheat, right? Remember the couple times that the Patriots have been accused of cheating over the last 20 years and how ape shit the whole world went? But it was just revealed that the team that won the World Series in 2017 basically got there and won it because they were cheating. And other than me looking for the story, I didn't even know about it. And I follow sports incessantly. But this is true. They've been caught cheating red-handed. So this is what the 2017 world champion Houston Astros did, all right? Um, their starting pitcher from 2017, Mike Fires, he came forward recently and exposed that the Houston Astros had a hidden camera somewhere in center field, and they were using a closed-caption TV feed um, to a camera, uh, to a monitor that was somewhere near the dugout for stealing signs, right? So I know some people that listen to this show aren't sports fans, and you probably might know a lot about baseball, but you are aware that there's a pitcher, right, who pitches, who throws a ball to a catcher, right? And that pitchers can throw different pitches, like there's a fastball, there's a, well, there's a two-seam fastball, a four-seam fastball, there's a slider, there's a curveball, there's a slurve, there's an off-speed pitch. I mean, there's like eight or nine pitches a pitcher can learn how to throw. And all the pitches uh, you know, move slightly in different ways, right? The catcher puts down signs. And in that sign language, the pitcher knows what to throw. Well, the Houston Astros installed a camera that would zoom in on the catcher. And then their dugout could see what signs he was throwing down. And then they would make some kind of a different kind of tapping noise in the dugout and depending on what kind of tapping noise they made in the dugout because they could see the signs the batter their batter would hear what kind of sound they were making from the dugout and then he would know based on the sound they were making what type of pitch the pitcher was throwing and believe me because I played baseball as an adult on a full major league baseball styled field right when you're facing a pitcher, and this is even true for me when I played in my men's uh, adult league um, a couple years ago, I was facing live pitching at 41 years old at 80 miles an hour. And at 80 miles an hour, which the pros can throw much faster than that, your reaction time is very, very small. Meaning that by the time you see the ball leave the, the pitcher's hand, you only have like not even a tenth of a second to decide if you're going to swing or not. In that tenth of a second, you have to figure out whether it's the pitch that you were expecting and whether in where it's going to be so you can hopefully time your swing um, and locate your swing to hit that ball. And that's at 80 miles an hour. When a pitcher's throwing 90, 95, um, as the batter, you have to guess where the pitch is going to be in terms of location and what kind of pitch he's throwing. 
So obviously, if you know that it's going to be a fastball or you know he's going to throw something off speed, and by off speed I mean something other than a fastball, that's half the battle. So if you know he's throwing an off speed or if you know he's throwing a fastball, as a batter, a professional baseball player batter, if you know what pitch is coming, that's half the battle right there. You just need to make good contact with it. So as it turns out, that's what the Astros were doing. They were stealing pitches. The Astros' offense, when they were playing at home, at least, knew what pitch was coming. That no doubt helped them win games. That no doubt helped them get to the World Series. And it no doubt helped them win the World Series. You get that? So the Patriots... This is just my point, people. There are different standards for different people. When a Boston sports team gets accused of stealing, the whole world grinds to a halt and it's an international story. When a team like the Houston Astros, who won the 2017 World Series, have been just caught cheating red fucking handed. I mean, this isn't a uh, a wild throw in the dark. They just had one of their starting pitchers say, yeah, here's how we did it. Here's all the proof you need. I mean, they were just caught red handed. And I think this wasn't even a top news story the night it came out um, for sporting news. So can you see what I'm saying? One person can, like, murder somebody and it won't even make the news. Another person can sneeze wrong and it will stop the world from turning and make world headlines. That's my point. So I just think it's funny that they just revealed that the whole reason why the Houston Astros were so good and won the World Series in 2017 was because they were blatantly cheating and stealing pitches, stealing signs. But yet, did you know about it? Did it make world headline news? No. But goddamn, if there was even an inkling, even an inkling that the Red Sox had something even remotely to do with cheating when they won their last World Series in 2018, the world would have stopped and it would still be stopped and they would be talking about it in friggin' India, right? Double standards, people. Boston teams can't do it, but if you're another team from somewhere else, forget about it, right? <sighs> what else did I want to talk about? Well, Let's see, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, I told you how I had to piss in a car, and as a reward, I got to see Bill Burr perform in a small room, along with Lenny Clark, Stephen Wright, and Christine Hurley. And there was somebody else there, too. Uh, Bill had brought one of his friends with him, uh, who he actually started out with uh, when Bill started stand-up in Boston before he moved to the city. And uh, the guy's name is Wayne Previty. Wayne Previty's close friends with uh, Bill, and Bill, like I said, brought Wayne out to open for him uh, the whole week that Bill was out in Boston. And um, in between sets, I happened to go out front of the club to get some air, and Wayne was out there too. And I ended up talking to Wayne for about 20 minutes. And uh, that night when I got home, uh, Wayne had told me that uh, the only social media he was on was Facebook. So I got home. We became friends on Facebook. And then we started talking on Facebook. And now me and the dude talk almost every day. And what is my point about that? Well, I'm going to go further with it. Uh, Jessica Kearson. Anyone know who Jessica Kearson is? She's a stand-up comedian. 
If you don't follow comedy, I don't expect you to know who she is. But she's been doing it 20 years. And she just recently signed with Bill Burr's uh, comedy uh, company, All Things Comedy, ATC. And she has her first special. Her first. And she's been doing it for 20 years. And she has her first special coming out December 6th on Comedy Central. And it was produced by Bill. And uh, last Monday, a week ago today, Jessica Kearson was a guest on Bill Burr's podcast. And uh, it was a great interview because for the whole second half of that podcast where Bill interviews Jessica, uh, Jessica talks about her 20-year history in stand-up, and as does Bill. And they talk about how they got their start because I'm just starting out too, right? But at a much later, later age than they did. So hearing about Bill talk about how he got his start and what comedy is like at the start and what you have to do and what you have to do to maintain, um, that's all invaluable information to someone like me because it's coming from somebody that I highly respect and he's talking about how he got his start and it's all advice and I am eating up advice right now, right? I need it. Uh, and Jessica Kearson, she's paid her dues. She's been doing stand-up every night of the week somewhere across this country for 20 years. She has literally done, I don't, I don't know, take 365 shows and then times it by 20. And that's what you have. And that's probably a low number to how many times she's been on stage. And she just got her first special. That's what I'm saying. Bill's been doing comedy a little bit longer than Jessica. Bill has, what, six specials? He's got five Netflix, one HBO. So that's my point. And then I talked about uh, another, was this last week's podcast or was it on a podcast I didn't do? I talked about a young comic named Jabuki Young White. And Jabuki's very first show wasn't some open mic gig like 99.999% of the rest of us. Jabuki's very first gig was at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. So, <laughs> that's the equivalent of like somebody graduating high school and then the next day they somehow skipped four years of college and they're now the CEO of a company, okay? For 99.9999999999% of American comics, you start off in your local hometown doing open mics in front of the bartender and three other comedians. And you do that every night of the week for fucking years. Then you go to a big city and you do that every night at open mics for years. And then you might start getting a paying gig at an actual comedy club that's not an open mic. And then you start touring and after 20 years you get a a, a a fucking special right on hbo showtime cinemax comedy central sorry netflix whatever no jabuki somehow without ever paying his fucking dues his very first show because of who he knew was at the comedy seller people the comedy seller the comedy seller in boston is like what the comedy store in la 
if there's one pinnacle club or room that you need to do where you can say you've made it, it's at the Comedy Cellar, okay? If you have a paid gig at the Comedy Store on Sunset in L.A., you've made it. If you get a special, you've made it. This dude's first gig was at the Comedy Cellar, and he had a special out a couple uh, months ago on Comedy Central. This dude just started, and he got handed a comedy career. You know how frustrating that is for, for, for you know, people like me or anybody else? You know, you got comics like Jessica Kirsten, who's been doing it 20 fucking years. She's paid her dues, and she just got a half an hour special. And this dude, Jabuki, fucking has his first show ever, not at an open mic in fucking the cornfields of Iowa, but at the most, one of the most famous comedy places in the country, in the city, New York, the cellar. There's comics who have been doing this for 20 years that would kill to be in the cellar. And this dude's first show was at the fucking cellar. So that's frustrating, folks. You're not going to find a whole lot of comedians um, in this business that are going to give that kid the time of day because he didn't pay his dues. And people don't like that. And I seriously, and, you know, and I I know I'm not being a very good comic, okay? You know, if I can call myself a fucking comic, right? Um, you know, as a comic, I guess you're not supposed to shit on other comics or talk shit about other comics. But, I mean, you know... I'm sorry. I'm going to be as truthful and as upfront in this fucking show as I can possibly be. I'm not hiding shit. And I'll be truthful with you. There's not a lot of comics out there that are rooting for fucking Jabuki because that's 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 not how you do it. Everybody, no matter how fucking funny you think you are, everybody has to wade through shit for several, several, several years before you'll even get a non-open mic gig. And just to make a couple of phone calls because of who you know and somehow get put on at the cellar and then you get a special a few months later, that happens to nobody. Nobody. And the dude's not even fucking funny is my fucking point, man. So that's frustrating. But I got way off topic there. My point is that, uh, you know, social media gets a lot of bad publicity, I guess, right? I thought when Facebook first started, it was cool. You had a wall. You could share pictures, music, uh, stay friends with people that maybe are now halfway around the world. And then social media turned into this kind of nightmarish thing. However, social media can be cool. And what I how can it be cool? Well, because I don't know Jessica Kirsten personally, but... Her and Bill's interview uh, last week on Bill's podcast was so good and it was so informational um, for new comics like me starting out in the game uh, that I hopped onto Twitter and I replied to both her and Bill saying that was an awesome interview. It was so helpful uh, for new comics like myself. And Jessica got right back to me and liked it. And then I actually hit Jessica up on uh, Instagram through a private message. And you know what? She got back to me and started talking to me like a normal human being again. That is another what I considered to be famous comic. I've talked about others I've hit up this summer on social media who have been cool enough to talk back. And I give those people such props um, because they don't owe me anything. They don't know me. 
you know, but they took the time out of their day to write back to a fan or to an up and coming comic that's looking for advice. And they talked to me. And I think that's so fucking cool. And that's my point about social media is that social media does have its good points and it can work if you act right. So, um, you know, even though I went out to the show and I didn't get a chance to meet Bill, um, like I thought I was going to, um, I did get to meet one of his close friends and now I'm friends with his buddy Wayne, who's a comic as well, actually works for Playboy in LA. And, uh, he told me personally, if I need anything over the course of my career to hit him up, that is a huge contact to have in the corner. Jessica Kirsten. Like I said, just recently signed with uh, Bill Burr's All Things Comedy. She has her first special finally coming out. Her and I have now become friends where we talk privately on social media. So that's what I'm saying. Social media can work, but it's all about acting right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's no different than if you're trying to date somebody. If you expect, um, you know, Tom Cruise to get back to you on social media, you know, chances are he's not. Um, chances are a lot of people won't. And why? Because, well, you know, I guess the more popular you are, you probably have a lot of fans hitting you up on social media. And do you know any of these fans? No, you know. So if you start up a conversation with one, you got to, I get it, right? But like I'm saying, you kind of look at it like you're like you're dating somebody, you know. If you come out of the gate when you're trying to, uh, you know, meet or date somebody, whether it's a guy or a girl, and you're a guy or a girl, I don't know what the fuck difference that makes. But if you're really persistent and you're like clingy and you're up in their face, it's going to scare them, right? But if you approach them very gently and very nonchalant and very cool and you act right, people will open up. And people ask me, like, like, how did Bill Burr get back to you on social media? Why does Jessica Kirsten talk to you? Why does Wayne talk to you? Um, you know, why does, why does Greg Hughes, Opie, from Opie and Anthony, how come he talks to you? Well, it's easy. I... I approach them like you, like I said, like you would approach, you know, a woman that you're interested in. You take things slow and you're cool and you don't act like a psycho. And if you do these things, you gain these people's trust and eventually they open up to you. But, you know, you just can't expect to hop on Twitter and um, hit up your idol and just have them get right back to you. That's just being unrealistic about it. But I'm, t but like I said, like I've proved if you act right, and you take it right, these people will and can get back to you. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate Jessica talking to me because Jessica, over the past week that I've been talking to her privately through social media and on Instagram, she has been cool as shit and she has given me more advice than I could ever possibly hope for or buy in a book, right? Because I keep saying there is there is no book on what to do to go down the road to being a successful stand-up comic. The advice I keep getting from the majority of people is you just have to get up on stage as many times a week as you can and just keep doing it. And unfortunately, the part of the country and the city that I'm living in now, there's not a huge comedy scene. There's two clubs that run open mics on Wednesdays. That's it. So I can do two sets every Wednesday. That's it.
So until I start traveling into Boston more or I permanently move into New York City or LA, I can't get on stage every night. And that is what I have to do. And every month that goes by that I'm not getting on stage every night, I'm just putting myself behind the eight ball. And that is precisely why I'm moving out to LA. And I've even considered now moving to New York City because I'll be a lot closer, um, obviously, to Boston. Uh, the whole reason I wanted to go to LA is because it's 80 degrees there right now. You believe that? It's 80 degrees right now in Los Angeles. And right now where I am, it's what, 36, 37 degrees? We broke a record low the other night. It was like 10 degrees out. I mean, like, it, it has been so cold in Boston these past few weeks. You would think we were in the middle of January. And it's and it's the first couple of weeks of November. We've broken record lows here, uh, you know, like every other night this month. The heat's been blasting in the house. It's been fucking crazy. And yeah, it's 80 degrees right now in Los Angeles. So... I could either go to New York City to do stand-up every night. Gorgeous city. I love living in the city, except for the price of it, right? But there's a problem. There's a winter. And the snow and cold sucks, especially when you've had to deal with it your whole life. But then when I look at Los Angeles, and I know I could get up on stage every night there as well, but it's 80 degrees and it's November I don't know, 36 degrees, 80 degrees, I'll take the 80. So, yeah, that's that. So, what have I been doing over the last week? Uh, just uh, real quick, uh, over the last week that I've been taking my little vacation, I've watched some, uh, I've watched a few movies. Uh, you know, I started rewatching Crashing, Crashing. Uh, produced and directed by Judd Apatow. Written and starring Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes, he's a local comic to hear. Pete Holmes, born and raised just outside of Boston. Just like Bill Burr. Just like Joe Rogan. Uh, just like Stephen Wright. Just like Dennis Leary. A lot of great friggin' Boston comics, right? So anyways, Crashing. What is Crashing about? Crashing is about Pete Holmes' life when he started out as a stand-up comedian, uh, as a stand-up comedian, but it's set in like present-day times because Pete is already an established comedian. So it, it basically follows Pete's life starting out in New York City as a stand-up comic doing open mics, but it's set in today's time. You get it? And Pete just plays himself. And... Um, for somebody who's going to be moving into New York City or L.A. and doing stand-up, it's literally my story, right? So it couldn't have been more of a perfect show for me. And uh, I tell you, I blew right through the first season, blew right through the second season, and I'm halfway through the third season. And um, I don't really get a whole lot of time to watch TV. I'm busy working at one of my several jobs and uh but yeah when i started watching crashing last week i boom 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 i had meant to start the series a thousand times since i heard about it coming out i said that's the show for me and for some reason i just i haven't watched it up until last week so yeah maybe last week the reason i didn't do a podcast was just because it was a vacation okay i needed a fucking vacation 
and uh, because I run this bitch, because I run this company called Reality Drip Productions, and this is my show, I have that right to take a week off, and it was great. So yes, I watched the first two and a half seasons of Crashing. I'm going to hopefully watch the final four or five episodes of it this afternoon before Monday Night Football starts. Right? We got Monday Night Football tonight. We got uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. That's right. If you don't follow football, you probably didn't even know. You probably thought, weren't they the San Diego Chargers? Yeah. But they're now the Los Angeles Chargers. So yeah, crashing. If you like stand-up comedy or you or you want to know what it's like to be an open mic stand-up comic, a new open mic stand-up comic in a big city, watch Crashing. It's three seasons. They're all available on HBO On Demand. And I'm telling you, even if you don't like comedy, I think you'll like it. It gives you a realistic look into what an open mic comedian goes through starting off in New York City. However, um, one of the things I love about the show, okay, Artie Lang uh, has a starring role in this uh, show. Um, I haven't, uh, Artie recently got out of um, rehab and he's been clean and sober, I wanna say for the last seven straight months. But the reason why Artie kind of disappeared here in the third season of Crashing uh, is because he was in rehab. But um, Artie Lang um, appears a lot in the first season and in the second season. And uh, Artie Lang, who's obviously an established huge comic living in New York City, um, lets Pete crash on his couch. And that's not realistic. And I don't even know if that really happened to Pete, but... And here's the other thing, okay? Uh, I want to say it's uh, the second or third episode of season two. Uh, Pete's got nowhere to stay in the city. He goes out to dinner with Artie Lang and Bill Burr. And then Artie Lang pieces out on him, and he's been crashing on Artie's couch. And then Bill Burr lets... Pete come back to Bill's fictional home and stay with him and his wife, Mia, and their newborn baby. Uh, Mia, uh, yeah, Mia. Nia actually played herself, but I don't think uh, the baby they were holding in that episode was actually Bill's daughter. But anyways, that does not happen, people, okay? Um, as a new stand-up comic doing open mics in New York or L.A., if I didn't have a place to stay... Uh, Artie Lang or Bill Burr aren't going to open their doors to me, people. So that part of crashing is fucking unheard of, okay? No established comic in their right mind, even if they knew Pete Holmes and he was just starting out, are going to let Pete Holmes or me crash on their couch if they're Bill Burr or Artie Lang. That shit does not happen, okay? A lot of what's uh, shown on crashing in terms of how tough it is doing open mics in the city that's realistic but having bill burr take you under his wing and let you crash at his place and shit or having Artie lang take you under his wing and let him open for you and shit like that that does not happen people that is a pipe dream and uh what happens to jabuki 
Jabuki is actually um, he's actually uh, what co-stars in the first episode of the third season, and it shows exactly what Jabuki really did in his life, and that's open up for Pete once at Jabuki's college, and then they travel back to the city together. And Pete can't even get a gig at this point in his career at the Comedy Cellar. And Jabuki just walks on stage because of who he knew. That's my point. So Pete had been doing stand-up for years. And then he meets this Jabuki kid, brings him back to the city, and he just walks on at the Comedy Cellar. I mean, the gold pinnacle of clubs. Okay? Any stand-up comic, doesn't matter if they're brand new like me or if they've been doing it 40 fucking years. You ask them, where are the two pinnacle places to do stand-up in this entire United States? The Comedy Cellar in the city, New York City, or the Comedy Store in Hollywood, or Los Angeles, sorry. Those are the two places. And this dude got to do his first show ever there. That does not happen. And like I said, Artie Lang or Bill Burr, do not let uh, open mic comics that have no place to sleep in the city just just invites them over their house. Okay, that doesn't happen. However, um, I did notice uh, that I think the Bill Burr episode of Crashing I think had one of the highest ratings of all the episodes of Crashing, and um, Bill was actually great on the show, even though Bill literally just had to play himself, so it wasn't like he had to act. He just literally just had to act like he does. Um, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, what else did I watch? Oh, yeah. So I, I told you about the Jabuki story, and they actually tell the Jabuki story, like I said, on uh, the first season, uh, the third season opener of Crashing. Um, and... The manager, or the woman that plays the manager of the Comedy Cellar in New York City uh, during the Jabuki episode says something very, very poignant to Pete that stuck with me since that episode. And I think she hit the nail on the head. She said to Pete, um, there are too many white male comics in the game right now, all with nothing to say. And I've noticed that, too. That right now, if you are gay, or you are a woman, or a person of color, um, you have a much faster track right now in the comedy scene than a white male. Um, white males in this country right now are looked at as being just toxic. I have heard that word a lot lately. Toxic white males. I don't know what that means. I try not to be toxic. I don't know how I am toxic. I guess just being white now and being a male in this country has made me toxic, even though I don't think I'm doing anything toxic to anybody, aside from just opening my mouth right now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I truly don't know. But what I do know is that, um, and I'm not trying to make excuses, people. I'm really not. Uh, but, you know, so yes, as a, as a privileged, white, toxic male, I'm, I don't really have the demographic um, to have any kind of a fast track in stand-up comedy. Um, I'm white. I can't help it. I'm a male. I can't help it. 
um, heterosexual, I can't help that. Um, I can't change the fact that I'm heterosexual. I can't change the fact that I'm a man, and I can't change the fact that I'm white. But uh, the comedy scene does seem to be flooded with white males that have nothing to say. Which is why if you're a woman or a minority or you're gay or you're all three, your chances of fast-tracking the comedy game right now are light years ahead of me. Okay, But the one good thing about comedy right now, and I will give this credit to Ari Shafir who recently said it, is that because of PC culture and every in this cancel culture of them wanting to cancel out comedy, comedy has become dangerous again. And comedy has not been dangerous in years, but comedy has become dangerous where walking a room is a real possibility. Where Twitter backlash, all that stuff. Comedy has become dangerous, and that's what I love about it because I consider myself to be a dangerous comic. I, I do not work clean. And when I go up on stage, I try to shock people, okay? I try to get a rise out of people, okay? It's no, and that's all my tactic, people. That's all my style. Because guess what? Why do you think everybody watches the nightly news at night? And why do you think it's all horror stories? Because the horror stories sell. And the more dramatic they can make them, the more people watch. Why do you think nobody, why do you think the news at night doesn't have happy-go-lucky, great, happy-feeling stories? Because that shit doesn't sell. If you're working as a clean comic, good luck. But when I walk out on stage and I say something really outlandish that makes the whole room gasp, that makes people stand up and take notice, okay? And because I am a toxic white male, and there's a lot of toxic white male stand-up guys or whatever podcasters, whatever the fuck you want to label me as, right? I got to do something different. I can't go up there and talk about bunny rabbits and, oh my God, bunny rabbits, you know, or why, why did the chicken cross the road? I can't do that, you know? I'm just going to blend into this sea of noise. So when I go out there, I plan on going up and out with a bang. People are going to re remember my name. People are going to remember my sets because the shit that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that. Comedy's dangerous. I'm all about it. Sign me up for it. I want to be known as the most dangerous comic out there. I want to be known as the most uh, controversial. Why? Because it sells people and I want people to know my name. I want people to come to my shows and wonder, what the fuck is he going to say next? Because if I'm quiet and I work clean and I, and I try to appease everybody and make sure I don't fucking upset anybody on stage, that's not helping people. It's, it's not helping me. Can you feel the amount of rage and bullshit I have inside of me? There's a lot. I feel like my entire life I've gone unnoticed and unheard. And when I go up on that stage, I want to be heard. I want to be noticed. And I am going to keep screaming and I am going to keep yelling and I am going to keep drawing attention to myself until I feel like I've been paid attention to for the first time in my life. I don't know. Maybe that's the psychology behind it. But that's what I'm going to do. 
I am going to turn fucking heads and I am going to make it in this business. And I love it because I'm sure people just heard me say that and they're probably laughing. Oh, fuck you. He's going to make it in the business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking stand-up comic. <laughs> Watch. I love, I love, I love. I love the fact that right now there are people doubting me. There are people that, you know, think there's no fucking way he's ever going to move to the city. There is no fucking way he's ever going to... Watch. It might take me... 15, 20 years. I don't know. I could be 60 years old before I get my Netflix special. And by the time Netflix comes out, we could be on fucking Pluto watching it. I don't know. But I will make it eventually in some aspect of it. And the moment I am waiting for is whether that moment comes a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. When I can say I have made it either as a talk show host, podcaster, actor, comedian, writer, producer, musician, whatever I do, any of those people that doubted me right now, and I know who you are, I cannot wait until you try to reach out and get a free ticket or a free ride or a free fucking something. And I can just be like, where were you when I started this shit out? Because I remember the shit talk. I remember it. That's what drives me, okay? That's what drives me. The people in my life that doubt it, that think I'm an idiot, that whatever. I love it. Please keep doing it because you literally keep feeding the fire. Keep doubting me. I hear it. You don't think I do, but I do. Keep doubting me because that's what drives me, and I fucking love it. I, I, I truly do. So what else? I got to see... um. You know, I can't say I really chose a lot of happy-go-lucky movies. Every movie I watched was actually pretty brutal. Um, I watched The Mule, uh, Clint Eastwood and Bradley Cooper, um, where Clint Eastwood plays a 90-year-old um, flower guy that just lost his business. And uh, he's trying to get his family back, and he has no money. And he starts running drugs for a Mexican cartel, and... Uh, just like every other movie that Clint Eastwood has done and written, it's fucking phenomenal. If you have not seen The Mule, watch it. And uh, if you are in touch with your feelings like I am, you might even tear up. Although I had something in my eye. And I'm also going through something in my life right now that a lot of people realize. So yeah, there's a certain scene in that movie that's uh, that's that tugs on your heartstrings. Um, so yeah, anyways... I also finally got around to watching A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper once again in Lady Gaga. Gaga, goo goo, goo goo, goo goo, gaga. I want to know something. Where did Lady Gaga come up with that name? Okay? I understand that she's a lady. Okay? So there's where the lady part came from. But where's the gaga? The goo goo, goo goo, goo gaga. Hmm. Okay, we need to come up with a really catchy name for you, okay? Okay, let's see. What should we call you, okay? Well, you're a lady, so let's start with that, okay? We'll start, we'll call you lady. Oh, I got it, I got it. Um, my baby this morning was going goo, 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 gaga, goo, goo, gaga. Let's call you lady gaga, gaga, goo, 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 gaga. <laughs> Where did she come up with that shit? Lady gaga. That's it. That's it. I've been looking for a band name for, you know, my solo shit, right? I'm, 
I'm going to use that same naming uh, convention. Instead of calling my, I'm going to call, I'm a man, right? Not a lady. So I'll call myself Man Baba. Man Baba, right? She's Lady Gaga. I'll call myself Man Baba. Perfect. It's Lady Gaga. Goo goo. And I'll be, I'll be Johnny Baba. All right. How about that for a rant? That was not written down, people. That's my sick, twisted mind asking myself where she gets off calling herself Lady Gaga. Gaga. Anyways, what did I think of it? Well, um, as a musician, I liked it because I could relate with a lot of what they showed in the movie. Um, I did not know what was going to happen at the end. I guess even in the trailers, and I don't pay attention to trailers, they said, you won't believe the ending. I didn't know there was a crazy ending like there was. I did not see that coming. Um, I think it's a fucked up ending, but uh, it doesn't change my opinion of the movie. So did I like the movie? Yes, I did. If I have to give it a like or a not like, I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. I thought the ending was fucking tragic. I thought what uh, Lady Gaga, I thought what her manager said to her husband, uh, the guy that played Bradley Cooper, before the guy ended up killing himself, was one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard anyone say to anybody. However, what he said to him was something that absolutely gets said in the music business or any business. Because let's face it, people. It doesn't matter if we're on Wall Street, Main Street, New York City, L.A., talking about movies, comedy, or, you know, a corner side attraction. It's money. Everything comes down to money, power, control. People will back over their own family in the driveway to make a buck. So what that manager said to Bradley Cooper's character that eventually made him end his life... I'm sorry, I just ruined the movie in case you haven't seen it, but he kills himself after his wife's manager basically says some of the most evil shit to him possible. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. If you can recall that scene in that movie, in what he said to that person, just think about that next time. You know, we all think we know each other, right? We all think we know our friends. You know, I think there's people in my life that think they know me and that they have an idea of what I go through in my head on a daily basis, but I don't think they do. I think it's real easy to look at somebody, even somebody that we know, and think to ourselves, well, I know what it's like to be them. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I wish there was a way. I've always thought about this. I wish there was a way. I wish that humanity had the technology where where somebody could literally lay their hand on my shoulder and just for a minute feel what it's like to be me feel the kind of pressure i'm under uh feel the kind of sadness that i feel for a lot of the people in my life that are right now that are struggling it's not easy it's not and that's just it we all go through it everybody goes through tough times so you might look at somebody and think, wow, they're having a great fucking life. Well, you know, do you really know? You know, do we really ever know somebody? And that's my point. My point is that in this movie, uh, this evil manager 
who only cares about his client in the music business says something really, really, really fucked up to this dude. And because of what he said, he goes and kills himself. And that's my point. The next time you are going to condescend or tear a new asshole into anybody, maybe you shouldn't. Because what if you found out that whatever shit that you just talked or however you just treated somebody meanly is what just set that person off to go take their own life? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you were a dickhead to somebody today that you didn't really need to be a dickhead to? And in whatever dick thing that you did was what just pushed that person over that edge where they're going to go do something like that. And I see this happen all around me now. There's no doubt that the world is crazy. Well, okay, the world hasn't changed. We have, okay? But there is definitely a palpability in the air where just everybody just seems pissed off at each other. And I don't know where that came from. You know, everybody likes to say it's because Trump's in office, but really, is that really what's happened? We can't deal with it that much that we have to all be at each other's fucking throats. But seriously, I see it all around me where, you know, uh, people that used to be kind of chill and cool uh, have are no longer chill and cool. And I, I don't know. I don't get it. But that's my point, people. Before you think that somebody has a awesome life and that everything is fucking perfect and that nothing you can say or do can possibly affect them, check yourself. Check yourself. Is it so hard not to be a dick to other people? Is it so hard to think about other people before we do shit? I do it constantly. Constantly. There's not one moment in my day that I am not thinking about what I'm doing at that particular moment and how it might be affecting other people around me. It's always on my mind. Always. But yet when I get around people that just, I swear to God that they just forget anybody else that's around them. Just, they don't give a fuck. It makes me not give a fuck. You see what I'm saying? I've talked about this before in the podcast. Like when I go into, let's say, uh, a gas station. And there's somebody 20 feet behind me. I don't need to hold the door for them, but I'll stand there for 10 seconds holding the door for them. And then they'll just walk right by me, ghost me. Won't even say thank you, won't even acknowledge the fact that I took 10 seconds out of my day to go out of my way to hold the door for them. That makes me want to stop holding the door for anybody, even if they're right behind me. Because I'm not getting that little bit of, you know, thank you. And then I ask myself, is that me being a dick? Am I stopping that because I'm not getting that treat or that reward for doing something good? Like, I need that thank you or else I'm just going to be like, fuck you. So I've been on the fence about that. Because I, I do that kind of shit for people all the time. I always hold doors for people. Always. And I've noticed that it used to be almost 100% of the time I would get some kind of a thank you. And now it's like maybe one out of every 10 times I'll get a thank you. But... Those thank yous have become so rare in public that I guess that's why I still do it. But I am getting to that point now where, you know, whether it's driving my car around and letting everybody pull out in front of me because I'm no longer in a rush to get anywhere. It's going out of my way to do something for somebody, holding the door for somebody. But then everybody around me is just like walking over me. 
You know, I don't get anywhere near the same amount of respect that I think I give to other people. And it's it's starting to really piss me off, especially in public, where it's me constantly looking out for other people, wanting to help other people, and just people just not returning the favor. And it's really starting to bubble up in me. Um, and that whole rant all came from what that dude said to Bradley Cooper's uh, character in A Star Is Born, where he said the worst shit he could have possibly said to Bradley Cooper, which caused the guy to go and kill himself when he didn't need to say any of it, is my point. Try not being a dick today. Try going out of your way and just to be nice to people, or at least acting like you give a shit. At least act it. Put on a smile even if you don't want to smile. Would you? I don't think it's too hard. So what else did I see uh, besides the mule and a star is born? I saw an older one. I saw one that I wanted to see. I believe it came out in 2009 and I came across it on demand and I pulled it up. And again, just like uh, just like a star is born in the mule, uh, this is a... It's a pretty sad, dramatic movie. Uh, this movie was called Brothers. Brothers is with Jake Gyllenhaal, Tobey Maguire, Natalie Portman, just to name a few. And um, the movie is a brilliant movie. It's brilliantly acted, and it's it's fucking tragic. It is. Um, you got a guy who's married to his high school sweetheart, two beautiful young girls. And he gets deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever it was. And while he's deployed, his family gets word that he's dead. And the family just falls apart. And during the time period that his wife and kids are mourning him, his brother, who just recently got out of jail and is looked at as a fuck-up to his parents into the whole family, uh, becomes friends with his brother's wife and kind of helps her. They don't take it to a romantic level, even though it starts to go there, but he just kind of helps out and helps the family get over the loss of their father. But as it turns out, he didn't die. He was a POW. He escapes and he makes it back. And when he comes back, He's messed up in the head. And who wouldn't be? What prisoner of war who was just a prisoner of war and got tortured and went through the shit that this guy had to go through in this movie is going to be able to come home and walk right back into a family life? So it really rings true with what soldiers, American soldiers, have to go through when they return from war and they come back home. They just can't slide right into their lives again like we're used to, okay? They've been exposed to some of the most brutal shit on the planet. And now they're just supposed to re-enter society without any problems. This is why people that you have to support your men and women in like in the military, both past, present, and future. Because just because just be just when the just because they come home when they're done with their time on the battlefield doesn't mean that the battle ends for them. Is my point. And that's what this movie really brings light to. Is that this guy went through some messed up stuff in combat. And his family thought he was dead. And then he comes home 
and he's dealing with all the post-traumatic stress of what he went through as a POW and being in war. And now he has to deal with feeling like his family moved on and is now more into his fucked up brother than him. It's, it's, it's crazy. If you have brothers, if you are a military family or it's, it's poignant, it's fucked up. It's dramatic. It's sad, but it makes a point. Okay. And I loved it. I didn't like it because of the subject matter. I just thought it, you know, I don't mind dramatic movies, even though there's enough drama in my life to go around. I don't mind a dramatic movie because the only thing that makes the movie dramatic is that they're talking about a subject that I guess is dramatic. It's not an easy subject to talk about, but it's something that we can't run from because it's not easy to talk about. But we cannot forget about our soldiers when they come home. Just because they're home and off the battlefield, it doesn't mean the battle has stopped in their mind. War fucks with people in a way that I can never even imagine because I've never been in war. I can only imagine, okay? So let's give our soldiers, when they come home, as much support as they need. They shouldn't have to pay for health care. They shouldn't have to pay for fucking treatment. They shouldn't have to do shit. Okay? And that's why the other day we had something called Veterans Day. It's just one day, and it should be year-round, that we thank anybody and everybody that's ever had anything to do with protecting and keeping the freedoms that we all take advantage of every single day in this country. Look at how many hundreds of thousands of people that have died in this country's history so you can have the freedoms that you're enjoying right this second. Think about that. That's what Memorial Day, yeah, Memorial Day. Well, that's what Memorial Day is about too, but Veterans Day. Memorial Day is about remembering our fallen heroes, right? Veterans Day is basically the same thing. It's another day in the year that you have to take the time out to acknowledge and respect our country's veterans. But just think about that for a moment. Think about the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Forget about the bad shit, Trump being in office and whatever else you want to fucking complain about. Look around you and think about how many other people that aren't in this country right now are struggling way worse than you. All these freedoms, your car, your house, all this shit, yeah, you worked for it, but these freedoms that we have in this country, hundreds of thousands of people died to give you what you have right now in America. And all we're asking for is a couple times a year just to acknowledge it, help these people, thank them. Is that so much to ask? Christ, I don't care if you think war is great or war is bad. You can't deny that uh, these people were there. And that you can't deny that there's been hundreds of thousands of Americans that have, or not even Americans. There's plenty of people that aren't American that have helped America, right? There's a lot of people and a lot of things to be thankful for in this country. And maybe that's what we should start doing, okay? Because I talk about this on the podcast all the time too. When life throws you a fucked up moment, you got two choices. You can grin and bear it. Or you can run, hide, and cry. And I am choosing to grin and bear it no matter how much life 
wants to throw shit at me right now, right? That's all I can do. That's all I can do. So I really try to look on the bright side of things, you know, the bright side of the stand-up career I have in front of me. It's 20 years long, and it's going to suck. And I'm a white, male, toxic com uh, comic, right? Which is about the worst I can be. But I'm going to focus on the fact that it should be a long, strange, fun trip that could have a lot of rewards at the end of it. I'm going to have a good time with it. And I like the fact that comedy has become dangerous again because it hasn't been dangerous in decades. Right? So that's good. So I'm looking at the positives to that. Okay? I'm trying to see the positives in everything. The positives in social media that I just talked about a few minutes ago. Everybody wants to see the internet's you know, dark and black and that, you know, social media is a trap. And yeah, it is. There's a lot of bad shit out there. I mean, anything good can be turned bad. Everybody does it, right? Everybody ends up ruining things for everybody else. And then what else did I see? That was it. So I watched a whole bunch of, I watched two and a half seasons of Crashing, A Star is Born, Brothers, and The Mule. And along with a whole host of other older movies that I've already seen a thousand times. But uh, Natalie Portman, my God, Natalie Portman is so beautiful. You know, she's local too. She went to, uh, she went to BU, BC, Harvard. No, she was, she was, she was Harvard. She was going to Harvard uh, right around the time uh, Zuckerberg was there making the Facebook. And I tell you, if we want to talk about uh, my favorite women here for a second, because Natalie Portman was always one of those girls that I, I said, Natalie Portman, if I could have any... You know, Natalie Portman was just always a beautiful girl, but uh, my, I'm going to give you my... I'm going to give you two of my sweethearts, and I don't reveal this to many people, but if I could pick two women, and again, I'm a man, that's why I'm not talking about men here, I'm not gay, okay? I like women. If I could pick two women from two different movies or two different time periods where I could say, that's my girl, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, like you might like Audrey Hepburn, but Audrey Hepburn's been dead for I don't know how many years. And when she died, she was, what, 80, 90? So you might have had a crush on Audrey Hepburn, but you wouldn't want Audrey Hepburn in 2019, right? You say you want the 1928 Audrey Hepburn or whatever, okay? For me, it's Kate Bosworth. Anyone know who Kate Bosworth is? Maybe, maybe not. She wasn't, she didn't become a huge actor. But uh, she did a little surfing movie, an all-girls surfing movie in 2002 called Blue Crush. Now you probably know who she is, right? Well, she was the star of that movie. That was Kate Bosworth. So Kate Bosworth in 2002, I think she would have been, I think she's actually my age. So in 2002, I was what, 23? So yeah, a 23-year-old Kate Bosworth is would be my ideal woman that could walk in my door right now. So if I could have a girl that looked just like Kate Bosworth from 2002, that would be my ideal woman. Uh, next up would be a 2016 version of a lady named Shalene Woodley. She's become quite the little actress. Um, and why a 2016 Shalene? Because... 
in this movie. It's a little known movie, um, but it's a fantastic movie um, called The Descendants, starring George Clooney. It was all filmed on uh, in Hawaii. And uh, she was a co-star in that movie in 2016. It was the first movie that I had seen her in, and she is just so beautiful, especially in that movie. Uh, she's been in the Divergent series, uh, 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 The Fault in Our Stars, uh, a lot of real good movies. Um, she's been a really good, young, up-and-coming actor. Um, I want to say she's like in her mid-twenties. But yeah, so, uh, you know, a 2002 Kate Bosworth, uh, a 2016 Shalene Woodley, and uh, Honorable Mention... If anyone's ever seen the movie, I think this movie came out in what, 01? Look at these early movies from my early 20s. Um, I know her name, but I'm drawing a blank on the movie because I didn't write it down. And if I don't write things down, I forget. Um, I'm going to get f made fun of for this movie, too. This isn't a movie that you run right out and tell your masculine guy friends that you liked. Um, it's actually a pretty horrible movie. But she's just so frigging hot in it. I just, I can't get over it. Her name's Piper Paraboo. Anyone know who Piper Paraboo is? I cannot think of the friggin' movie she's in. Um, God damn. Uh, in the movie, she lives in New Jersey. And she wants to be a singer. And then she tells her single father that she's moving into the city. And then she moves into the city and she tries to get a club gig and some dude poses as the club manager even though he's only a cook. Um, and then eventually after a couple of years in the city, uh, she even works at a bar called Coyote Ugly. Is that the name of the movie? Coyote Ugly. That's the name of the movie. There you go. Coyote Fucking Ugly 2000-2001. You probably remember it a little bit. That chick from that movie. Her name was Piper Paraboo. I will take her from 2001. Not a 40-year-old Piper Paraboo. Because, you know, I'm 40. 40-year-old women just aren't attractive to me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, what else? What else? What else? God damn, we're already an hour and 20 minutes into this bullshit. Well, I had a couple more things to talk about. But um, I'm afraid I've probably bored you long enough. Um, I can just envision the 13 people that started this podcast off, probably stopped it uh, about an hour ago. Um, uh, or maybe the 13 people that started this podcast off, 12 of them stopped it an hour ago. And the 13th guy that's still listening is actually hanging from a ceiling fan right now, dead. Um, that is, that is the type of work that I feel I put out today, people. So yeah, I'm, I'm hope you're happy with this disaster called views from the John. This has been the 14th iteration of this shit show. I hope you have a great week. I have no fucking idea when the next one will be, but, uh, just hit that subscribe button to whatever way you're listening to this now. And the next one that comes out, you'll be fucking notified. Okay. Have a great time. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Yo, Johnny! I'll see you in the next life! <laughs>